I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Addo Jr. Special football weekend is upon us and key domestic leagues across Europe will resume title races and battles for European sports in earnest. Has now gone up, but the referee's going to play the advantage because Adeyemi's 1v1 with Enzo Fernandez, and he's full of speed and he's gone around the goalkeeper and he's scored! Germany, Bayern Munich and Dortmund take sides. In France, Paris Saint-Germain are on the run, but the chasing pack are not quite out of sight. Napoli continue to lead the way in Italy and Barcelona have put some daylight between themselves and rivals Real Madrid. We have a complete review of games to come in Germany, France, Spain and in Italy. In England, the Premier League leaders have more naysayers to convince about the title winning credentials. Smith broke kicks to the line. in to consolidate the top spot. Manchester City are looking to take advantage of any slip and Manchester United are still entertaining thoughts of a possible title challenge from the outside. We have a full preview of games to come in the English Premier League ahead. We'll be in Egypt for updates ahead of the under-20 AFCON final and bring you updates from the world of the NBA, tennis and boxing. Time to talk about what the world is talking about in the world of sport. Hello from me, George Addo Jr. and welcome to The Locker Room. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. So thank you very much for staying on The Locker Room and it's an absolute pleasure to be back to bring you all the notes and all the facts and all the statistics and the permutations that you need ahead of a sporting weekend. And of course, we have a big sporting weekend ahead of all of this. And remember, as always, we're interactive across our social media and you can indeed send us your messages on our WhatsApp line. There's no better place to begin tonight and it's on the continent. 
to the back. I say that commentators curse. And and the opener, a mistake by Nigeria, and pounced upon by Gambia. And it is, of course, Bojang, Adama Bojang again, a hat trick in the quarterfinals, and one now in the semis. And it is Gambia are in the final for the first time in the Afghan under 20s. The Gambia and Senegal will contest the 2023 U20 Africa Cup of Nations final on Saturday at the Cairo International Stadium. Now, 10-man Gambia sealed the place in the final of the Total Energy's U20 Africa Cup of Nations on Monday night after beating Giants Nigeria 1-0 in Cairo. Senegal reached the final after Lamine Kamara scored a double to help them defeat Tunisia 3-0 in Ismaila. The 2023 Total Energies Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations is Gambia's fourth participation and they have qualified to the semi-finals in three of the last four tournaments. Absolutely great. So let's get a bit of perspective ahead of what should be a thrilling end to the competition that has been on for days in Egypt. Joining me is a CAF online editor and Gambian football expert, Momo Duba. Thanks, Momo, for your time and thank you very much for joining me in the locker room. You have been up in Egypt following the competition and this is not your first U20 AFCON. How does this year's edition compare to the others? Thank you very much, George, for having me on, on the locker room. This is my third consecutive AFCON under 20s tournament. I think um, the comparison from this tournament to the previous three that I've attended um, has to do with the team's ambition of qualifying for the FIFA under 20s World Cup. When the tournament started, all the teams were, all that they were saying was they want to book one of the four available ammo slots um, to, um, to the tournament. Um, in terms of the playing side as well, I think uh, it has been really, really enjoyable. Um, the teams have really give it, given it their, their, their all. Even some, some, some of them who, who dropped out in the, in the group stages will be disappointed. And of course, those that failed to make the semis. But I think um, it was really. Um, fantastic in the group stages up to the semi-finals now as we get into the last two matches there's a third place match and then the final on saturday right we can see exactly why you have been enjoying this but tell us quickly about some of the standout players in the competition so far and why we should look forward to seeing them at the top i've seen performances in 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 goalkeeping in defense in midfield and of course in attack um, the two players that would naturally stand out because of their goal-scoring exploits as Senegal's Pap Dembo Job, who plays for Zulte Varengem in Belgium, and the Gambia's talisman Adama Bojan, who plays for local club Steve Biko. These are the two standout players because of their, as I said earlier, their goal-scoring exploits. But um, Job is leading the way with five goals. He hit, he hit a hat-trick against the host Egypt in the last group game. Um, he also scored a schema in the 3-0 dropping of the, um, Tunisia in the in the semi-finals. He also had a goal against Mozambique in the in the second match of the of the group stage in Group A. The Gambia's um, a talisman who much was expected of, a, of him prior to the tournament because of his rich vein of goal scoring form in the Gambian top flight. Adama Bojang, um, the young striker, failed to 
um, score in the group stages, but he came up to life in the in the business end of the tournament as he scored a hat trick in the 5-0 trusting of Davidton South Sudan uh, before scoring the all-important lone goal which secured Gambia's ticket to their maiden final against seven-time champions Nigeria. Um, he 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 sits. Uh, behind them, a job with four goals. Um, there are also other performances in the Gambia's captain, Adam, um, that's Alaji, Alaji Sen, um, won two Man of the Match awards. Um, he scored the winner in the opening game against Tunisia. He has been a rock at the back for the young Scorpions. Uh, Lamine, Lamine um, Kamara of um, Senegal in midfield, he scored two goals in in the 3-0 win over Tunisia in the semis. He was one of the star players of uh, this year's um, Chan in Algeria. He, um, he has earned him a move to uh, Metz in France from Generation Food. I think these these are, for me, um, the standout um, players um, um, from from this tournament. But it's it's a tournament which have seen fantastic players like Dio uh, uh, Gracias Basinga of um, Congo, um, fantastic fantastic player. He he's also he also has four goals. But um, Congo are out of the um, tournament. There there's a lot of players that have have done well in this tournament. Tunisia's Goal, goal, goalkeeper Rice Geze. Um, he was a standout against Congo in the in the penalty shootout, which booked Tunisia a place at the World Cup and of course the semi-finals. Yes, this is very much in your domain, Momo. Gambia has been very good, and it appears there's a pattern. Well, the senior national team, remember, were great at the AFCON. The U20s also have had a great trajectory in this competition and facing again the final. What is Gambia doing right? Well, I think the Gambia's secret is having young players playing in in the league. Um, most of the clubs back home have really emphasised on having young players about coming in into their first teams. Uh, when you look at the Gambia's team, the um, the team is predominantly made of of local players, and most of them are playing in the Gambian top flight. So I think um, um, clubs like Real de Banjul have really invested in having young. Um, a young, um, a younger players um, um, to play in the league to make sure that um, the, uh, the players are competitive and and so that um, they can um, they can um, um, sell um, these players into um, uh, teams teams in Europe and of course across the world. So the Gambia Football Federation also have been um, really concentrating in making sure that. Um, uh, they register all national teams, um, even though funding has been an issue with government. But most of the time, um, in the youth categories, um, the, the football federation um, spend a lot um, because um, across across the continent, the government mostly focuses on on the senior national teams. But um, um, the budget for uh, the youth. Um, the the youth teams, especially this current one, I understand uh, more than half of it, uh, more than half of the budget um, came um, came um, came from the football federation. So I think those are w- one of the things that Gambia is doing doing right, making sure that all the all the national team men and women uh, are are registered, and clubs also have started. Uh, you know, giving more opportunities to younger players um, to play first team football. Uh, that's why um, you could see this is this um, a second consecutive time that the Gambia has qualified for 
um, the under 20s AFCON the last time around two years ago we reached the semi-finals and won bronze over Tunisia this time around we have done a step forward in reaching the finals and hopefully um, we can um, the young scorpions can get the job done against um, our neighbors and arch rival Senegal well, I guess that's a leaf. Everybody's probably going to follow a little bit of a blueprint, but it looks like Senegal are probably uh, taking the lead in all of this. They've won the AFCON, the Chan, the Beach Soccer AFCON title as well, and now seek the U20 AFCON. Tell me, Momo, how impressive have they been in our tournament? I've been really impressed uh, with um, the young cops of Senegal. Um, as you said, Senegal is... Uh, basically been winning everything uh, with the AFCON, the CHAN, the beach, the beach soccer. Um, so the, um, the under-20s are also in the finals. Uh, um, really impressive team. They they have a solid, solid team. Um, um, uh, really solid at the back. They have this record w- with the Gambia of winning all their matches, uh, keeping a clean seat in five consecutive matches scoring 12 goals, winning all matches. So it's been really, really outstanding um, for um, for Senegal. They have some fantastic players, like the leading goal scorer so far of the tournament, Pab Job, um, Lamine Kamara, um, Samba Jalo, the, cam, uh, the captain. Um, at the back, they have the custodian, uh, Landi Mbaji, um, who was also at the Chan as one of the backup goalkeepers. Um, so um, they, have a, they have a fantastic group of players. Um, that have been assembled by the coach Malik Duff and, and they go into the game against the Gambia beaming in confidence that um, um, they can continue this winning habit that um, Senegalese, um, uh, Senegalese football um, has um, over the last um, uh, 12 or um, uh, uh, 18 months. Finally, Mumu, what's there to look out for from the uh, fair place game between Nigeria and Tunisia? Which, and of course, which countries have disappointed you the most? Well, um, uh, the, the third place match is one match that no team wants to play. But um, unfortunately, Nigeria record seven-time champions and Tunisia have found themselves um, uh, in this match later um, today at the Cairo International Stadium at um, 14 um, GMT. Um, uh, Ni- Ni- Nigeria lost the opening match against um, Senegal, but they came into life um, winning um, the following matches against Egypt, 1-0, the game that they, they, they didn't play well, but uh, managed um, to get over the line before um, beating the Mozambique um, in the final group game to finish second behind Senegal. In the, in the quarterfinal, um, uh, they edged out um, Uganda uh, before going down against the Gambia one nil match that they dominated. They even had a penalty in the last five minutes of the match, which they missed. So the, um, um, Tunisia also they lost to the Gambia uh, before um, the three zero trusting in the semis against um, high flying Senegal. So um, during yesterday's press conference, both coaches um, Adel Selimi of, um, of Tunisia and um, Leiden Bosso of the of Nigeria have all emphasized on the importance of finishing on a high as they have this last final dance of, um, you know, finishing, you know, having a podium finish. So um, it's 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 a match to look up to, too, um, later today at the Cairo. Um. Well, that was Mumu Dubah. He's a CAF Online editor and a Gambian football expert who joined us for that.
Away from the African continent, we head over the oceans into Europe and to talk a lot about major European leagues that are ongoing at the moment with so much to fight for. We're first talking Germany, Joe, and it's time to get the latest from the domestic football league, the Bundesliga. Now, there's a huge derby on Saturday at the Veltins Arena and a crazy title race with Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund going neck to neck on this one. And we can get a preview to the action to come right now. And we are joined at the moment by Chris Harrington from Dutch Vale, our partner station in Berlin. Hello, Chris. Thank you very much for your time and joining us on The Locker Room. Forget about their Champions League exit at the hands of Chelsea in midweek. Dortmund have had the best form since the restart that they travelled to Schalke this weekend in that crazy derby. What should we expect? Yeah, you know, this used to be a very heated rivalry. The history is there. You know, I even remember doing documentaries because the two clubs, for those that don't know, are in close proximity to one another. They're both working class clubs, you know, so they have quite the loyal fan base. And it's a very heated affair. That's what history has told us. But uh, recent history, not so much because Schalke has had a ton of issues. They were relegated. They won the second Bundesliga, but this season they've been struggling a lot. They are coming off a win versus Bochum, which is a good boost, but it was a battle between the bottom dwellers in the standings. You know, uh, and, and Schalke hadn't won on the road in a very long time. They were running a league record 38 matches, and it was their first away win since 2019. The reality is Dortmund is just in a different class right now. You know, from top to bottom, I think the run Dortmund has right now, you know, obviously hugely overshadows this recent victory that Schalke has uh, shown the league that they're capable of. You you know, but all in all, um, emotions, I do think, will still be present, you know, because I do think the history, the ghosts of uh, past fixtures and such, you know, will somehow be spoken about during the training sessions on the lead-up. Obviously, with the Champions League, Dortmund have a bit more on their plate. So it gives Schalke the opportunity to build up this emotional fuel that maybe they can bring more of a fight to Dortmund. I'm hoping there is a fight, but on paper, it doesn't look like that'll be the case. But stranger things have happened. Yes, Chris, we have to talk about Bayern Munich. And they've got a bit of a tricky game. Yes, Augsburg beat them or defeated Bayern when they met uh, for the first time this season. Could they do it again? Well, the first time they defeated Bayern, they caught them at the perfect time. You know, Bayern were on a run of three draws in a row, and then it culminated with Augsburg's victory being beaten up by their baby brother. These two clubs are also very close in proximity, and it was a shock defeat. Their first defeat Bayern had uh, this season. And uh, But recent history shows that Bayern will beat them up badly because they recently met in the German Cup, and it was a very lopsided result. 5-2, I believe, was the scoreline at the end of that one. So uh, Bayern, obviously, they have a lot on their plate as well. Julian Nagelsmann had already mentioned how important the Champions League fixture is to their season. And um, it's just an, such an expectation that Bayern wins the Bundesliga. Sometimes I do think they tend to fall asleep at the wheel. You know, the first time these sides met, uh, they had countless attempts on goal. They couldn't find the back of the net. Thomas Muller even spoke on that issue in particular after the match. Manuel Neuer even tried to, uh, he even had a goal attempt, if I recall correctly. So there's a lot there to unpack in terms of the history and the fixture. You know, I am expecting Bayern 
to uh, be show show an example because they are, as I mentioned earlier in the week, holding on to the table lead with such a small margin. They need all the points they can get, and dropping points to their neighbor would just be a bad look in their title defense. Chris, before I let you go, what else has hit your radar so far as the Bundesliga is concerned and do you think is worthy of our listeners uh, to have a little insight into? Well, I think everyone knows who follows Bayern, they're still in the market to try to replace Robert Lewandowski, the tip of their spear of past years. And uh, rumor has it they're in the market for Harry Kane. But uh, recent reports say Tottenham, you know, would want an offer for more than 100 million euros or million pounds. When you do the, you know, exchange rate, that's still going to be in the excess of 100 million euros, you know, uh, probably in that ballpark. I'm not sure what Bayern Munich are going to do in that nature. Bayern typically... uh, they grip their wallets quite tightly, you know, in these type of scenarios, and they often don't buckle to pressure. Their recent uh, signings, record signings, have been defensive. They haven't really shelled out a lot of money for an offensive threat. You could even argue Sadio Mane was somewhat of a deal. He was nowhere near 100 million. But if they want Harry Kane, Harry Kane, obviously, you know, his talent speaks for itself. He, he he's definitely the classic. Uh, striker that Bayern needs to fill that void because their offense typically flowed through that type of striker. So we have to wait and see how interesting the summer window gets, you know, how Bayern fares in the Champions League and other competitions and how desperate their brass are to make a drastic change. Sadio Mane was a bit of bad luck. You know, he, he's been injured. So he hasn't really panned out as they would like. And uh, you never know with football. People get injured, things happen. And uh, we have a lot of time between now and any potential bid Byron has to make for Harry Kane. Thank you very much for the Bundesliga update. That's Chris Harrington from a partner station in Berlin, Germany. We can now head to Italy. Di Lorenzo, Politano. Di prima verso Osimen. Prova a girare alle spalle di Smalling che la buca Osimen! L'Uragano Victor! Colpisce ancora! Golasso di Victor Osimen! A 10 dalla fine! There's so much going on in the Italian Serie A. The old ladies, Juventus, are in a bit of trouble, still wobbly and struggling, hoping to get back to where they were after that 15-point deduction. Obviously, Napoli with uh, the Nigerian Victor Simon are definitely leading the way. Joining me to do some analysis on how the Italian Serie is our expert, Asrim Sichopa Philip. Thank you very much, Sicho, for your time on the show. Napoli, you know, have had an incredible story this season. They have a 15-point lead at the moment in Serie and are looking likely to end a last eight spot as well in the UEFA Champions League with that first-leg advantage over Antwerp Frankfurt. For those who are uninitiated, how can they understand this incredible story which has built up? Yes, they were in and around the top two spots last season, but nobody could have predicted the season, right? Yeah, so the Napoli story is a fascinating one. Um, that is largely because this is the season where not too many of the fans of Napoli expected the team to hit the heights they had hit in more recent years. They've been in around the top two. They've, they've taken it to the wire with Juventus at times. They've been at the top for, uh, in, in some seasons and have just not been able to get over the line. But this season was one of those seasons where at the start of the season, not, not too many people were looking at 
Napoli to, to be the team to win the Scudetto. And the factors were clear. This Napoli side looked to be a new project. And I'll explain that. Now, Napoli, I mean, and think about it, Napoli as well as a team, at the start of the season or in the summer, lost almost all their leaders. So they lost Ospina, who's gone to Saudi Arabia. They lost Khalidi Koulibaly, who's moved on to Chelsea. Their midfield general in Fabian Ruiz, he moved to FC, uh, um, PSG. Dries Mertens and Lorenzo Insigne both departed from the club. So you're looking at straight away some of the biggest names in Napoli's history in more recent years who have left the club. Their hat and so at the back. I mean, you could you could very much argue that Koulibaly was about the best defender when he was in Italy with Napoli and he was leaving. Then Lorenzo Insigne and Dries Mertens, when you think goals for Napoli, those were the two players that you are thinking about. Then again, in the middle of the park, Fabian Ruiz's creativity and his ability to control games from there was going to be missing. Ospina with experience as well was leaving. So nobody really knew what kind of Napoli team to expect. So the fans were not very confident about what the Napoli side was going to look like this season. And that is why what Napoli have achieved or what they are achieving this season is more impressive. Because every team in this world that loses the leaders or the important players as those that I've mentioned of Napoli is going to struggle. It's they're absolutely going to struggle. So think of maybe um, a team like Liverpool losing Alisson, losing Virgil Van Dijk, losing Henderson and Medford, and then in one summer losing Saido Mane and um, uh, Mohamed Salah. They are going to struggle, and that is true for a lot of other teams. But this is what then happened. They brought in Kim, who has been a revelation. This has been brilliant for them, and then in the middle of the park, Lobotka who, when he came into the club two seasons ago, didn't look fit, didn't look sharp, didn't look like he belonged, didn't look like he could thrive. He has improved. And I'll come to the bit about Laboka, but keep that in mind that he has improved. Then a player like Zambo Angriza, who we saw in the Premier League, for Premier League fans who have seen him in the Premier League, he wasn't overly impressive, went to the everyday visa. He's come to be a new player for Napoli. Then that Estalia, who started on the left-hand side of attack as a winger, has been a revelation of the season. The Georgian, who they signed and brought into the door. Politano, Heaven Lozano, whoever starts on the other wing has been brilliant. And obviously, Victor Osimhen. So we're looking at a team that lost all of its leaders, but every single one of those players who's coming to replace them has been a magnificent lift to what they are doing. But the crucial thing about this Napoli team has got to be the manager, Luciano Spalletti. The more reason why when I mentioned Loboca, I was saying keep that in mind because Spalletti's, one of his attributes in Italian football is that he's got what it takes to improve players and individuals. So he's going to improve every one of those players in the Napoli shirt. Zielinski is playing a role that gives him so much freedom. Think about Zielinski as the... The Kevin De Bruyne of the Italian Serie A, very intelligent, picks passes, can shoot with both feet, can can create something out of nothing. Zambo Invisa, who wasn't good in the Premier League or didn't fit the bill in the Premier League, has improved massively under Luciano Spalletti. And Labotka, who has been around the club and nobody really gave him a look in, is now also then being a revelation then for them in the season as well. So Luciano Spalletti has got his fingerprints all over this team. But the crucial thing again that also works for Napoli is that. They are probably one of the two Italian Serie A teams that do not play like Serie A teams. So the two teams that do not play like Serie A teams are Lazio and Napoli. So Lazio and Mauricio Sarri, they don't play anything like Italian football. 
But Lazio have got their own problem. But another day, I'm sure, will come for us to talk about why they are not winning consistently. They beat, they beat every big team in Serie A, but they don't get over the line against the smaller sides. However, Napoli have become a difficult team for Serie A teams to beat because they play what the modern-day European football clubs play. And whereas a lot of Italian football clubs have stuck, are stuck with the Italian identity of being resolute at the back and, and, and relying on individual colleagues at the front, Napoli are a bit more collective. And because they, they've got a lot of energy, they press really well. Teams are not able to deal with the press and pressure that they apply or put on the ball. So Napoli have been able to use the, the if you like, the modern trend and the modern way of football in Europe to beat a lot of the teams in Italian football who have not yet started playing in that manner and all thanks to Luciano Spalletti for what he's done it looks like this season as well if Napoli can believe a bit they are going to I think they will qualify to the quarterfinal but with Real Madrid not looking to convince them from La Liga even though we know in Champions they can be something else City are not looking like the City that we, we used to know I think they are weaker than what they were last season so Bayern Munich are good of course but who is to say that any of those teams in the Champions League would love to come up against a Napoli side that is firing? So I think, yeah, um, Napoli, nobody really saw them having this season. But a lot of that was because of the players they lost. And nobody trusted that the players were going to come in, were going to get the job done. But here they are, they've done it. Meanwhile, uh, Sicho, the main man for Napoli's show, has been Nigeria's striker or Nigeria's Victor Simon. The striker has spoken about his desire to play in the Premier League and rumours suggest he is emerged as a target for Manchester United. But knowing Aurelio Di Laurentiis and how stubborn he can be with transfers, how realistic is calling a summer transfer for Osimhen? So yeah, Victor Osimhen as well has also spoken about you know, his uh, desire to want to play in the Premier League. All the rumours have emerged. But we know that Di Laurentiis, he is one who, who actually places value on his assets. And when he's actually valued his asset, he's going to milk every single one of those pennies in there about the, from the player. So remember, Kalidou Koulibaly has stayed at Napoli for a very long time because not too many teams were willing to pay the 120 million that he was demanding. And it came to 80 million and now Chelsea got him for way less than that. But that is who he is. But I think there's a general consensus that Osimhen might leave because the thing is, the Premier League teams have got a lot of money now to spend. Okay? And the thing about Usman is that, and the thing about Usman too is, there are some teams in the Premier League that do really need a centre forward. And it's going to be their priority. One of those is going to be Manchester United. The other one is perhaps going to be Chelsea. And these two sides will know that if they buy a quality centre forward, they are close to competing for big trophies. So maybe they will be tempted to splash the big cash. And, or, or, or De Laurentiis is going to milk all of it. But I think United can't go into next season without a striker. The limit now for them would be maybe because Hurricane is available, some others might think he might be a cheaper option. But whatever happens, one of those Premier League teams do need a centre-forward, and that could be, you know, uh, Victor Osimhen. And I think there's a general feeling that in the summer, he might depart for... I said to a bit of Canadian interest here because Felix Afenejan captured the headlines in November 2021, we know, with his two goals for Roma as well. He matched as the favourite of the iconic Jose Mourinho, but the young forward pursued a move away from Roma. His agent has defended the decision, but it's not hit the ground running quite as he would have expected. And his club, Cremonese, looks certain to be relegated. Now, how closely have you been able to monitor him and can Ghana be hopeful at all? Yeah, I'm, I was one of those who said, I didn't think, I did not think that 
Cremonese was uh, the right fit for Athenejan. That is not because he's not a player who has promise or talent. I think when you watch Athenejan, you just know that he, he needs polishing. He's still raw, but he can be a very good player giving the guidance. But he needed to go into a more settled team, a team that has a bit more of assurance and certainty that they will stay in the, in the Serie A because that gives them the ability to try a lot more of things and take more risk. But the reason why I didn't also think that you should go to Cremonese was that in Cremonese, there's no track record of, of grooming young talent or giving the young talent the opportunity to develop. And when a team has just come from the Serie B, they are desperate to stay in the Serie A because obviously they make more money, it's the better league, it's the Premier League there. So, so there is no time to take the risk that a more settled Italian Serie A team would take. So they are very much going for players who can get them the instant results. And one of the things that doesn't help when a player has moved to a team that, that might struggle for, play, uh, for relegation is, is that the managers normally are changed because in Italian football, it's one of the leagues that have got managerial changes very, very rampantly. So managers might change. The manager might not want you there might also be a style in, in a, a change in style because managers are desperate to find a winning formula so they are chopping and changing and when i looked at the profile of players in the position where finijan played there were far more experienced players than him and to some extent players who were better than him because his track record in the league wasn't great he has scored just twice and he hasn't done enough to prove that he could be one that they would rely on so i'm personally not surprised that he's struggling in a struggling team because for a player who is not developed his game yet he needs to be in a settled team to be able to develop his game but if you are now struggling or now striving to develop your game one of the worst places you want to be is in a struggling team and that is why Efenejana has not thrived under Cremonese every single game that they play is a pressure game because they need points on the board and they can't afford to risk a player who they are not too sure what he gives them anytime he plays maybe they could have struck a deal with a better club that suits development of players in Serie A and Cremonese was just not the team. Maybe just before we let you go, we have to talk about the old lady. And we know Juventus cannot just get out of the news, can they? After a long injury layoff, Paul Pogba was dropped from the Europa League squad for disciplinary issues. Generally, the club has struggled in Serie A this season, especially after the 15-point inaction. So can the old ladies find any respite? Juventus are their own problems and, and we know that what Juventus wanted to do three years ago with their project, they were buying some of the best talented young players in Serie A, but that project hasn't necessarily been successful. So you've seen that Rodrigo Bentaco has since left for Tottenham Hotspur. You've seen that Christian Romero is now with Spurs. We've seen Dejan Kulisevsky who has been with Spurs. Demiral has moved to Atalanta. And these are players who Juventus Moeskin moves to Everton and came back. These are players where Juventus thought they were going to be the future. Let's not also forget Atamelo. You know, let's Barcelona, Swabio, uh, Pjanic, and came. Juventus three years ago thought they were going to buy some of the young talents in Italian football. And they were going to move away from the, the, the old players and the old lady style of football where very experienced players will come through the door and play only a few years. They were looking to build a generation of very young talent, talented footballers. But that, that didn't work. 
So Rodrigo Bentancourt didn't make the mark. Kulisevsky wasn't playing enough. Dimarol was never given the opportunity. Christian Romero had a very successful loan spell at Atalanta, but he was then sold. Rugani as well hasn't been a player that thought he would be more skin. So what Juventus have gone back to do this summer was to try and go back to the time where they were picking a lot of experienced players for cheap. So Philip Kostic, Angel Di Maria, Parades, Paul Pogba has come back for free. Unfortunately for Juventus, because of the issues they've had financially and about the fact that they've cooked their books and then they've swapped deals with players and of inflated figures, they've been dug 15 points. And if, after, after being dug the 15 points, to be fair, Juve have, have played some very good football. They've won some games. And without those 15 points, AC Milan wouldn't be in the top four. Juve would be very much in the top four. But there are issues around Juventus, of course. And they now have to find a way of getting into the top four because it will be disastrous that they don't get the Champions League money. Everybody who is full of Pogba has known that he's a player without... He's a player who goes with a lot of controversies. Disciplinary issues about him and what have you. And we saw that under Jose Mourinho and Manchester United. We saw that with his agency, with Sales Ferguson as well. Now that he's returned to Juventus, we understand that they are even back from fitness. There are some disciplinary issues, the wrong reason why they kept him out there. I think when Pop Pogba's head is right and he does the right things, in the Italian CR where the game is not as fast as it was in the Premier League, he's going to be superb if he's fit. But he needs to put his head in the right place and he needs to be disciplined enough to win the trust of Max Allegri, who, who really is not going to, uh, you know, uh, hold back on any player who is not meeting these standards. Thank you very much, Asrim Sichopa Philip, for joining us on the Italian Serie analysis and preview to it. There's going to be plenty more from Sicho in the coming weeks. You want to look around for that. Away from the Italian Serie A, we talk about La Liga and it's an interesting one there for those of you who have been following. All the fans of La Liga, Real Madrid remain nine points off the pace and face Espanyol this weekend. Barcelona riding high and we'll be looking for more against Athletic Bilbao. Let's now try to make some sense of all the permutations in La Liga now. And we'll head to Seville right now to speak to David Whitworth. He's a football journalist and reporter for Real Batiste. Thank you very much, David, for your time. Barcelona seem to be running away with the title in Spain. What has made them so good in Spain, yet not great in Europe? Barcelona have been the best team in La Liga this season because they've been the most consistent team. Added to that, the signings of Rafinha, and especially Robert Lewandowski has have given them a great fill it up front, especially Barcelona's attack have been much more competent and much more impressive this season. And naturally because the likes of Lewandowski and Rafinha would complement and improve any attack in any team in, in world football. Couple that with the fact that the likes of Pedri and Gavi are improving a lot, getting more experience at Camp Nou. They're already part of the furniture in the team. And the goalkeeping performances of Ter Stegen have helped Barcelona a lot this season too. So you bring all those factors together, and those are the reasons why Barcelona, certainly consistency-wise, are the best team in Spain. Dave, can Athletic Bilbao then apply the brakes, however, this weekend on the leaders in La Liga, Barcelona? Athletic Bilbao are a team steeped in history and notoriously difficult to beat at home. However, this season, they've been a bit erratic. They lost against uh, Girona uh, 3-2 uh, a few weeks ago, 
which is a surprise result. And although they've had a good season with Ernesto Valverde back at the helm, um, I think that Barcelona should be able to get the victory and uh, and keep the momentum going in, in La Liga. Real Madrid seem to be having the opposite reaction at the moment. They have been great in Europe and they've been not so great in Spain. What is going wrong with Real Madrid? The classic tale of Real Madrid, it's, it's their fabled competition, the Champions League. They somehow find a gear that they simply don't have in other competitions. When it comes to the Champions League, it's their competition. It's what they build their whole season around. It's what they build their whole ethos around as a, as a club, as a whole. They have to perform in that Champions League. Fans demand it. Directors demand it. The whole club demands a performance. And that's why you see some very... Uh, highly uh, unpredictable comebacks like last season when Real Madrid came back many, many times in many different games. And they've got that never say, never say die attitude that doesn't exist in, in other competitions. So they're great in Europe, but this time in La Liga, they've just been found uh, floundering. And I think that Benzema is still a very good player, but he's showing signs of, of slowing down. Although Modric is still performing at a top level, he needs the team around him to, to be performing. And they've not been consistent. And I bring that word up again. Barcelona have been consistent. Real Madrid haven't. And that's the reason why there's such a big gap between the two uh, classical clubs this season. So then, how big a challenge is the game against Espanyol this week from where you sit, David? On paper, the Real Madrid versus Espanyol game seems a formality, some seems a foregone conclusion, but that's why we love football, because there's shocks and surprises, just like the Liverpool result against Manchester United. No one saw that coming. And that's what we love about football, for the unpredictability. Real Madrid should comfortably win the game. Um, they're not playing at full gas in La Liga, but they should have enough to beat Espanyol. Atletico Madrid are well off the pace, but there's a little battle for third and fourth at the moment between Real Betis and Real Sociedad. They're all in contention. How impressive have both clubs been all season? There's a very tasty tussle for the Champions League places this season. If you go down and, and um, move to one side for a moment, Real Madrid and, and Barcelona. Atletico Madrid have been stuttering throughout the season but they've managed to get enough points to be in the third position at the uh, at the moment um, and then there's a great battle going on between themselves Real Sociedad and Real Betis two teams that have got two managers that have given an identity to both clubs for the last three years and it's shown on the field because they've been performing not just consistently in Europe uh, but in La Liga as well and both Sociedad and Betis have done very, very well domestically and on the European scene to continue that run of form year in, year out. And both now have got that base to grow even more. And they're showing that the European qualifications that they've been getting for the Europa League are now stepping up to potential Champions League qualifications. Um, there should be a good battle between themselves and Atletico Madrid come at the end of the season. A big surprise this season has been severe. Many people thought that there could be a, a drop with them this season, but not so much. So obviously there's a big window of opportunity for uh, potentially both Sociedad and Betis to sneak into the Champions League spots, but certainly for the fourth place, 
it becomes a real real fight to 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 gain a a ticket to Europe's top table next season. And yes, Dave, for Atleti, is it time to say goodbye to Diego Simeone in your view? The work that Diego Simeone's done over the last 10 years has been remarkable to transform a club that they were in the midst of mid-table when he, he took over from Gregorio Manzano over 10 years ago now. They were 12th or 13th in La Liga. And to transform them to title winners, Europa League winners, perennial trophy winners over the years, difficult to break down, taking on the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, being the noisy neighbours, let's say, of La Liga's top two classical teams has been nothing short of fantastic. And a lot of credit has to go to Diego Simeone and his coaching staff for how they've stabilised Atletico throughout this decade. I think there's some kind of... There's a moment always that the change has to come. For instance, the likes of Arsene Wenger, Alex Ferguson... David Moyes at Everton after 15 years there comes a moment where it's right for both parties to move on and I think we're getting towards that stage now where maybe at the end of the season maybe potentially next season both clubs and the manager need to have a a clean break Uh, but part in the best way possible and doing the right way in the most uh, amicable way of course because he's a legend there not just as a manager, but as a player as well. He's done so much for the club on the field, off the field, giving Atletico a clear identity, a respect, a healthy respect in La Liga on the continent as well. And it's just a t- case of timing. And uh, I think the timing is, is, is going to be right for both the club and the, the manager in the near future to say, we've done all we can, we've, but we've hit the ceiling now. It's right for both parties to to move on, for Atletico to find a fresh manager with a fresh impetus, and for Simeone as well to look for a fresh challenge, perhaps in Serie A, with these former clubs, Lazio or Inter Milan, they would be a good fit, or further down the line with Argentina as well. Thank you very much. David Withwards, a football journalist based in Seville, Spain, and is a reporter as well for Real Betis, there with the analysis of La Liga. It's now time to get into the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. My colleague Mike McCarthy has been on this with me. Obviously, you're going to enjoy every bit of it. As we run through the big stories uh, evolving and revolving around the English Premier League clubs. And of course, a quick look ahead to the games to come in the English Premier League this weekend. Thanks, Mike, for time this weekend. And Chelsea must be a starting point after the drama around Graham Porter's job at the beginning of the week. Well, if winning against Leeds and Dortmund were crucial tests, he passed them with distinction. So, are concerns about his ability to lead this group of players over? Well, I think Graham Potter would probably be the first to say confidence in him is only as strong as Chelsea's most recent results. Yes, the win against Dortmund was impressive, even if it was helped 
by what you might charitably call very strict interpretations of the handball law and indeed encroachment from defenders from the resulting penalty Chelsea were awarded that night. But you could certainly see in that game some of the ideas that Potter is trying to put into his team and Tuesday's win was in turn better than last Saturday's victory over Leeds which was still a nervy experience for Chelsea fans at times. Let's not forget this is still a team that struggled to impose itself on matches this year. They still have an awful lot of growing to do. What plays into Graham Potter's hands this weekend is he faces the Premier League manager under even more pressure than him. Chelsea are at Leicester, where Brendan Rodgers is losing the patience of the fans as they continue to slide perilously close to the relegation zone. Some of the Leicester faithful were calling for Rodgers to go after their defeat at Southampton. Chelsea know what that's like of course but this is a Leicester team that has won just twice in the Premier League since the World Cup they are desperate not to get dragged deeper into the relegation fight but if Chelsea can stop James Madison they should have enough to get back-to-back wins in the Premier League for the first time since October they do that those concerns about Graham Potter will ease just a bit more Mike, what kind of reaction are we to expect then from Manchester United, who was sent to the cleaners at Anfield last weekend? Albeit, there was a bit of a reaction against Real Betis at Old Trafford in the Europa League. Well, we got a glimpse of the reaction in the Europa League on Thursday with Manchester United's 4-1 win over Real Betis. Very interesting that manager Eric Ten Hag chose to name exactly the same starting eleven that played in the 7-0 defeat at Liverpool. They had to show a response and they certainly did that in the second half at Old Trafford. The things Ten Hag complained about in the defeat to Liverpool were addressed. They took their chances. They stayed together as a team. And Bruno Fernandes, who received an awful lot of criticism for his performance in that drubbing at Anfield, well, he got the backing of his manager before the game, and he repaid him with a goal and an assist in that win. So the signs are positive that Manchester United have shaken off what was a dreadful result in what has otherwise been a very encouraging season by recent standards and though you wouldn't expect anyone at Old Trafford to take anything for granted they are massive favourites when they host Southampton on Sunday it's right to say Southampton beat Leicester last time out and Ruben Sellers has got a bit more out of the team since taking over from Nathan Jones in truth though that game against Leicester was a match very low on quality and there's not much to suggest the Manchester United side that performs to its capabilities will be troubled too much indeed There might be a few Southampton fans who will watch that match maybe through their fingers or from behind the sofa. Mike Arsenal go into the weekend with a five-point lead in the Premier League title race. Are we likely to see any change then? Well, not in theory, but who would have thought Bournemouth would take the lead in nine seconds at Arsenal last weekend and the drama that would follow after that for the longest time. It looked as if the Premier League title race would tighten a bit last weekend before that strike from Reese Nelson made it 3-2 and ignited those enormous celebrations at the Emirates. Going into this weekend, it's Manchester City who once again play first. They've got what looks like an easier assignment, taking on a Crystal Palace side who just can't buy a win at the moment. It's now nine Premier League games without a victory. Though, in that run, they have taken points off Manchester United, Newcastle and Liverpool. Actually, Eriksen's side don't concede a lot of goals, but they don't score many either. Just four in this calendar year. So Manchester City will be heavy favourites, especially after a rare week where they haven't actually played in midweek. Manager Pep Guardiola 
ordered his players to take a couple of days off. You'd expect them to be fresh and raring to go. As for Arsenal, they go to Fulham, who've had a wonderful season but haven't beaten anyone currently in the Premier League's top six. Arsenal came from behind to take a 2-2 draw against Sporting in the Europa League on Thursday. They came from behind to beat Bournemouth last week. They came from behind as well to beat Aston Villa a couple of weeks ago. Fulham, they may well make Arsenal work hard for it, but there is a steeliness about this Gunners side under Mikel Arteta. They haven't let the pressure of being the leaders overwhelm them yet. A few weeks ago, Liverpool looked out of the running for Champions League qualification. Now it's looking like a straight fight between Liverpool themselves and Spurs for fourth spot. Are Newcastle still a factor? Yeah, it's amazing how all of a sudden it's Liverpool who are the side that look most likely to reach the top four, having been so far off the pace for so much of the season. Jurgen Klopp has his team roaring again with that 7-0 win over Manchester United. So many feel-good moments for them in that record win over their rivals, including Mo Salah breaking the club's Premier League goal-scoring record. They look to be peaking at the right time. And after a 7-0 win... Who would you want to play more than the side you beat 9-0 earlier in the season? Bournemouth slipped to the bottom of the table last week. They're in deep relegation trouble. And Liverpool, playing in the Premier League's early kickoff on Saturday, have the chance to climb into the top four before Tottenham, who currently occupy that spot, host Nottingham Forest. As for Spurs, it's been another disappointing week for them. Antonio Conte was back on the touchline after recovering from gallbladder surgery, but he couldn't inspire them to a comeback in the Champions League against Milan. So now the top four is all Spurs have to play for. But Conte isn't talking about the future. His contract is up in the summer. He's made no indication he wants to stay. You do wonder what kind of energy that's going to give his players in the running. As for Newcastle, five games without a Premier League win, though their defeat at Manchester City was closer than the scoreline suggests. They host Wolves on Sunday. It's a game they ought to win to stay in top four contention. If they can't, it's hard to see how they'll keep pace with the rest. Mike, the future of Tottenham manager Antonio Conte looks to be in serious doubts. Uh, which other managers are under pressure this weekend from where you sit? Well, we've mentioned Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. Graham Potter not out of the woods yet at Chelsea either. But the other manager we should mention is West Ham's David Moyes, who for large parts of this season has only ever seemed one bad result away from difficult questions. You can make a lot from statistics, sometimes too much, but it remains the case that West Ham are 18 points worse off this season than they were at the same stage last season. They're a point outside the relegation zone when last season they were challenging for a place in Europe. And the big problem is they're struggling to score. 23 goals in 25 games. That is one of the least impressive records in the Premier League. Their top scorer this season, Jared Bowen, has scored just four. And when you defend like they did at times against Brighton last week, they're not giving themselves a chance in games. They're taking on Aston Villa on Sunday. There's a chance they could be in the bottom three by then. As it happens, Aston Villa are the only opponents West Ham have actually beaten away from home this season, but that was under Steven Gerrard. Villa a very much different prospect under Unai Emery these days and looking for a third win in a row themselves. If they get it, expect more awkward questions for David Moyes. And finally, Mike, aside the games involved in the Big Six, which games would you recommend to EPL lovers and why? 
Well, I think the games at Everton and Leeds draw some really interesting contrasts between two of the traditional big names in English football and the sides who are now outpacing them. Let's start at Goodison Park, where Everton begin the weekend inside the bottom three on goal difference. Their problems, although the result of years of poor spending in the transfer market, no clear direction in how the club operates, which has led to a succession of managers with very different styles, philosophies and characters. It's a bit of a mess. Compare that to Brentford, whose transfer model has seen them scout brilliantly across Europe and beyond. And in Thomas Frank, they have a manager who embodies their style and approach to the game. They're the ones who have a chance of qualifying for Europe this season. It would cap an incredible rise from the fourth tier of English football 14 years ago. They're on an incredible unbeaten run as well, Brentford. 12 Premier League games without defeat now. Victory for either side would be really significant for their season. And you could say the same for Leeds and Brighton, who meet at Ellen Road on Saturday. Leeds look like a club struggling for direction at the moment. Show by how long it took, really, to replace Jesse Marsh when he was sacked. Javi Gracia clearly wasn't the first choice, but he's the man who's got to get them out of trouble. Leeds just outside the relegation zone. Brighton, like Brentford, looking at the possibility of reaching Europe often... Finishing 7th is high enough to do that in the Premier League. It does depend on who wins the FA Cup this year and if they've already qualified for Europe another way. So with Brighton in 8th, that is a very attainable target. It's going to be very interesting to see if the relatively new bosses at Everton in Sean Dyche and Javi Gracia at Leeds are able to plot away past sides who have big dreams. And this season, they have the talent as well to match those aspirations. Thank you very much. That's my colleague Mike McCarthy who came your way with the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. And it will give us opportunity now to look around games involving your favourite Ghanaian players in Europe this weekend so you know exactly where to tend to uh, when you hold your remotes to your television sets around. I know Kamal Dean Sulemana of Southampton and Mohamed Salis very well, who started training this week, will be at Old Trafford to play against Ericton Hacks, Manchester United. Razak Musmal, however, has got a wrap of everything you need to look forward to. On Saturday, Antoine Semenyot will continue his search for a Premier League goal in the colours of Bournemouth when they host in from Liverpool at the Vitality Stadium. Jeffy Schloff and Jordan Ayew will be hoping for a starting place when Crystal Palace take on Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, while Didier use Nottingham Forest will travel to London for their big game against Tottenham Hotspur. Daniel Amati will also hope to get minutes in Leicester City's class against Chelsea, while Brighton fans will hope for the return of Tariq Lamte against Leeds United after picking a knock in the Seagulls' thumping of West Ham United. Thomas Partey is certain to be in action for league leaders Arsenal in their game at Fulham. Likewise, Black Stars duo Mohamed Salisu and Kamal Din Suleiman in Southampton's rather difficult game against wounded Manchester United on Sunday. In the French League R, Abdul Salih Samet has been in impressive form for fourth place RC Lens and will look to continue same against Clermont Foot. Left-back Gideon Mensah will also be in action for Auxerre in their home game against Stade Rennais. Elsewhere in the Spanish La Liga, Josef Edu Celta Vigo will play Rayo Vallecano while Atlet Bilbao and Inaka Williams will host league leaders Barcelona on Sunday. With 17 goals so far this season, Mohamed Kudus appear unstoppable for Ayas in the Dutch top flight and will look to increase the tally when they play Henry Even on Sunday. Following the exit from the Champions League and subsequent dismissal of head coach Scott Parker, 
Kamau Soa and Dennis Odoi's Club Brugge will hope to appease their fans when they host Standard Liège in the Belgian Pro League. There will also be action for Majid Ashimero when Anderlecht hosts Seko Brugge. And we end with a wrap of big games to look forward to across Europe this weekend. And Michelle Quenos has been standing by to give us this. Chelsea will look to build on two consecutive wins when they visit Leicester this weekend.